Hey guys, I'm Chantel. And I'm Chris. And this is Forgotten Fridays. Hey guys, and welcome back to Forgotten Fridays. Sorry we did not have an episode last week. Actually had a lot going on, so last week was a little hectic. But we are back and ready to take on the next case. Right, Chris? Yes, we are. Yay! So before we get started, I want to mention an update for the Javier Ambler case we covered a few episodes back. I know that episode was a big hit, so I know you all will be interested to hear what came about last week in regards to the case. Williamson County settled the wrongful death lawsuit by awarding $5 million to the family of Javier Ambler. No, that's actually definitely awesome, especially for Williamson County to do. Yes, I was shocked that they got it moving so quickly, but glad they did. It never brings the person back, but it's at least a little justice for the family. Yes. Still kind of ridiculous, you know, money, money uh, for for loss, but it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's still, like you said, something. Right. Also, a little Forgotten Friday news. As some of you know, I started this podcast with two segments. And as the popularity for Forgotten Fridays has grown, I've decided it's best we go ahead and go just by that, Forgotten Fridays. So if you share this podcast, as I know many of you have, make sure you inform them that the title is Forgotten Fridays. For those of you who have sent in case requests and info, thank you so much. Honestly, have not had to search to find a case in weeks. So many of you have sent in cases of loved ones and friends. And although my heart breaks that so many of you have to deal with this, I appreciate you trusting in us on Forgotten Fridays to tell your family and friends case. Today, we will be covering one of those cases, a case for a family member of one of our Forgotten Friday listeners. Now, before I start, I want to give a sexual assault trigger warning. I know not all of us can handle this content, so if that is the case, go ahead and skip this episode. And Chris, just know we are about to be pissed off with this one. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Joyce Munguia was born July 16, 1967, in Texas. She was 18 at the time of her murder and just one month shy of her 19th birthday. She was a mother of a one-year-old toddler. But I sadly wasn't able to find much more information on her other than that. Now, there are a lot of characters and different names that come into play. So, Chris, if you start to get lost or confused, just stop me and I'll clear it up. I kind of had to make an outline of who's who to not get myself confused. On the evening of June 13th, 1986, Daniel Hansen noticed Joyce at a bus stop in Austin, Texas, and he invited her to where him and some other friends were hanging out. This was in front of the house of Ricky Elizondo. John William Elliott, Pete Ramirez, and Ricky Elizondo were a part of this group. Over the next couple hours, they all drank beer and Everclear. They also partook in cocaine. It is said that Joyce was upset over her boyfriend seeing his ex-wife again behind her back. Now Joyce, who wasn't a big drinker, of course, became very intoxicated. Danny Hansen, her friend that had invited her over, was trying to console her about her ex while they were in the backyard. Ricky Elizondo came to the backyard and asked Joyce if she would like to wash her face inside of his home, and they went inside. 
After a short time, the other men followed them inside and found the bathroom door locked. Now, there's a few different versions of what happened. I read that they found her giving him oral sex in one account during the trial. He said she just laid on the floor and he had sex with her. But I want to remind us all that she is in no place mentally to give consent at this point. So either way, there's that. The men tried opening the door and even looking through the window outside. And honestly, this just really made me think of how like animal-like and predatory all of these men were acting. I, I can't stand situations like this. It's actually like very frustrating to see. I've, I've heard it from like people I know. I've like seen it in like, you know, movies and stuff. And every time it's like, man, because these acts of like, like people, uh, I'm not, it's not women. It's, it's, it can be men, but it's like people who are scorned or feel like they've been like, you know, mistreated for so long can act in this way of like retaliation or doing something that they normally wouldn't do. And it's like, man, it's really tough. And it's so fucking like just disgusting that these men would like a normal person should hear that oh you're going through this oh let's let's talk about it you know maybe maybe we could like i don't know i i just think that it's complete immaturity disgusting activity uh, whatever you will say it's just wrong very predatory i mean there's there as we she's vulnerable well, what's sad is when you get into situations where there's more than one person and they're all acting mm-hmm. in this way. That's kind of scary. After coming back outside, Joyce then asked her friend Danny Hansen to walk her home. Hansen would later admit he could tell Joyce was very drunk because she was crying and her words were slurred. He couldn't understand her at all. She also wasn't able to walk too good. So to sum this up so far, she was already raped by Ricky's nasty ass in the bathroom and is now sobbing and asking the only friend she has there to help her get home. As if that isn't bad enough, it sadly doesn't end there. So Danny Hansen begins to walk Joyce home. John Elliott then begins to follow them. And even though Danny Hansen was already pleading with him not to, he then picks up Joyce and begins to carry her into a dark wooded area under the nearby 7th Street Bridge. He told Danny Hansen he wanted her all to himself, and since she couldn't stand, he stood her up and undressed her and then laid her on the ground. There, he began to rape her. Ricky Elizondo and Pete Ramirez followed them as well and also raped her one after the other. Danny said he pleaded with them to stop and let him take her home. At the same time, Joyce was crying and begging for them to stop, as well as begging Danny Hansen to please help her. Now, I want to remind everyone she's fucked up on alcohol and at this point would usually be passed out, but she also was on cocaine. So unfortunately, she's awake during this, but can't move or fight them off because she's still inebriated. Hansen said it is at this point that Joyce yells that she is going straight to the police after they're done. John Elliott said we're going to have to get rid of her. It was then that John Elliott and Pete Ramirez ran back to the house of Ricky Elizondo. Still on the ground, Joyce asked Hansen to help her find her clothes. He picked them up and began to hand them to her, but Ricky Elizondo grabbed them out of his hand and threw them away. 
He then looked at Danny Hansen and said, you too, Danny. And it was at that point, Danny ran and called the police. So that was really sad to me just to think, you know, her after all that she's just been through and her to beg, like, can you please just help me get my clothes? Not just that, but the, 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 the person who you, you, you thought was a friend is just sitting there watching this. He now goes to call the cops. Now, after everything that just happened, he goes to call the cops. Humans, when they get in groups and they're all, or one of them could be really evil, can inspire the others to be just as nasty and despicable. Now, I was a little confused on this part, but I'm with you, Chris. I didn't like Danny Hansen at all. Either He's Dan- really my least favorite. Either Danny Hansen ran and called police, but then came back to see the ongoing rape, or he ran and left afterwards. The resource material shows different things. But before leaving, John Elliott had instructed Ricky Elizondo to stay there and watch both Joyce and Hansen while he went to get a gun. He then came back with the belt made out of a motorcycle chain. By this time, Joyce had managed to stand up and was still trying to get her clothes. John Elliott struck her with the belt chain and she fell to the ground immediately. It is then that bitch-ass Ricky Elizondo begins to run away. He testified in court that he had turned around and seen John Elliott hit her three more times with the tail of the belt as she lay on the ground. In total, Joyce was hit 16 times on the head and eight times on the face with that chrome-plated chain. Joyce died from the severe beating. So he beat her to death with a motorcycle chain after they gang raped her. I definitely think there's a special place in hell for each and every last one of these men that were there. And Danny calling the police means nothing to me, to be honest, because they would have found out anyway when they found her body. I mean, you didn't. To me, I would rather you tell my story that I died a hero than me sit in court and say I didn't do shit and let that happen to you. To me, as a guy who is coming here with my friend who is a female, there is no way in hell I would have even left her alone with such people. And, uh, and how do you not know the fucking people you're bringing her around? Dude, seriously, right there. I don't there, fucking understand part. you, Danny. You're hanging out that with rapists, bro? And to be honest, that is a thing that a lot of people need to take a step back and realize because I feel like things got swept under the rug in the past a lot. Now, if you know people that beat on their wives or their kids or they are rapers or they get girls drunk, and if you know people like that and you're still friends with them, you are just as much a part of the problem. They get extra handy when they're when they're drunk or something and like feel up women without warrant. No, these are fucking sickos. Agreed. And those those was, dudes that cat call and shit when they get drunk. No, that is a sicko right there. Like, bro, keep your it to yourself. Up on some game. Like, Allie told me a story. They just had the school dance, and this is a side note, but they just had the school dance, and two little boys came up to her and her friend and asked them out to the school dance. Allie t- turned him down, and then the other girl turned the other boy down as well. Al- the boy that asked Allie would took it fine, no big deal. The other boy got mad at them and said, "Gosh, you're ugly," and you know, started saying insulting things. And the other little boy literally told him, "Dude." why are you saying that like stop being a jerk and it made me so happy to know that this little boy stood up to that like you said that toxic masculinity where dudes get their feelings hurt if they get rejected and get violent or rude i love to hear that he stood up to that because that's what it's gonna take to stop it 
Yeah, just just people actually wising up to it. And I don't understand that behavior. It's just well, I understand it, and it is like a thing. But it's such an animal tendency that it just needs to be cut out of our society because we've evolved past it. You know. You would think we would. I <laughs> Jesus. So the medical examiner would testify that at the time of her death, Joyce had a blood alcohol level of 0.20. He explained that alcohol is a central nervous system depressant and it affects everybody, but it may affect them in a different degree, depending on their tolerance. He agreed that some individuals at that level of intoxication would manifest a loss of emotional control and or have trouble walking and have slurred speech. Some at the level would be unconscious. The medical examiner further testified that cocaine adds to alcohol, although he agreed as a general statement that it might take a person who was drunk or under the influence of alcohol and might at least temporarily perk them up or wake them up a little bit more than they might be had they not snorted the cocaine. He also identified a wound on Joyce's right hand as a defensive wound, indicating she had the physical ability to try to protect herself from the blows as they were coming in. A toxicologist testified that cocaine was detected in Joyce's nasal cavity, although cocaine was not found in her blood. The toxicologist explained that the level of cocaine one finds in the blood, let's say in the occasional user, is below the detection limits of the techniques we use. In an individual with a blood clot, Excuse me. In an individual with a blood alcohol level of 0.20, one would expect the ability to comprehend certain things might be affected. Likely would stagger, possibly be drowsy, might experience some dizziness. Someone who is not accustomed to drinking on a regular basis, he continued, I think they could very well pass out at that level of 0.20. His mother later testified she had lived with Joyce her whole life and had never seen her intoxicated, nor has she seen Joyce drink liquor or ingest drugs. So the drugs she's taking and the alcohol, I mean, this just wasn't something she did very often. And we have to remember she is a young woman. She is only 18 years old. You know what I mean? Fresh to the world. The idea that she wouldn't go and hang out with a friend You know what I mean? Like, how can she know that these were going to be rapist murderers? I always assume the worst in people whenever I'm headed to situations. I know how evil people are. And I can't, you know, she couldn't have known. She couldn't have known. some. And, you know, that's the thing. There are people in this world who aren't like um, you or me who have experienced the extremities of evil people dude look Um, at sam sam acts like she's never went through anything in her life she sits in parking lots after 3 a.m she's just begging for it like you know like but so it's like if if it was our sister we wouldn't we know how it feels to know that she was innocent and went into this situation thinking that these were just regular humans not the monsters they were and really truly monsters these are monsters. These are <laughs> these are demons in, in human skin. I I don't understand. And you know what's sad? You know what's sad? In my opinion, all of these men for rape deserve at least 40, 50 uh, life. I mean, this is so <laughs> life violent. sentences. 
This is literally the definition of a gang rape and murder. It's they so deserve violent. life sentences. They deserve to be put away and never come back out. A rapist should never come back out. You 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 see what I'm saying? Right. I agree. I, I just... It's the same as taking a life. You're taking someone's life one way or another. It's either mentally or physically. Y'all, like this this whole situation really sucks to me. Danny, you're a horrible person. You especially you call the cops whatever. You did not do enough, my man's and you're hanging you are what's that saying you are who you hang out with literally you hang out with rapists bro i mean i i would check my circle if that's if that's what's going if if i saw 10 oh my gosh and honestly chris there's a little more to this so just hold on i want to know what you think once we get a little more in continue shan Police didn't arrive at John Elliott's home until 1.30 a.m. on June 14, 1986, so early, early that next morning. John Elliott's shoes and shorts had splattered blood on them, and the blood was a match to Joyce's blood type. His shoe prints were also consistent with the shoe prints at the scene of the crime and inconsistent with the other suspect's shoe, shoe prints. Shoe prints. Metal fragments recovered from Joyce's head matched the murder weapon. Tests on the rape kit revealed fluids in Joyce's body had the same blood type as John Elliott, Pete Ramirez, and Danny fucking Hansen. DNA testing has confirmed that Elliott cannot be excluded as the donor of the sperm found in the victim's body, though 99.99% of the population was excluded. How did Danny Hansen's DNA get in there, Chris? Anyone who's watched a horror movie, you've seen that innocent guy standing by and then he joins and you're so angry to see it, but it's actually something that I've read in stories. It happens so fucking frequently and I knew it I because of notice how passively he's acting. He's not taking any proactive actions. He saw her vulnerability. He, he heard it uh, fucking. So on July 30th, 1986, the state of Texas indicts Elliot for the capital murder of Joyce Mungia. Murder in the course of an aggravated sexual assault. Elliot pleaded not guilty in the 299th Judicial District Court of Travis County, Texas. Um, The reason why they basically charged him with murder is because he's technically the only one that actually did murder her. The rest just were a part of the rape. At the time of his arrest for Mungia's murder, Elliot had prior convictions for public intoxication, disorderly conduct, attempted burglary, illegal possession of weapons, and intentional murder. Elliot had previously been in prison in 1982 for intentional murder, for which he served only four months of an eight-year sentence. He also was convicted in 1984 on an attempted burglary charge and was given 10 years probation. In 1982, Elliot went to prison for killing a man in a bar brawl. He was convicted again in 1984 for that attempted burglary. But in an era when Texas prisons were overcrowded because of a space shortage, he was released under mandatory supervision after only four and a half months of his eight-year sentence, then received that probation. So it's no surprise he didn't mind committing this heinous crime. I mean, he was taught by the justice system that he'll just be released anyway. Hold on, eight years? He killed a man? 
Um, I mean, yeah, in a bar brawl and got intentional murder and only got hold, eight years. Hold up. Hold up. Eight years, you killed a man. Which you see, I, sometimes, like. sometimes I, I, I hear like things um, and it, it just kind of throws me off because it's like, who, what fucking judge ruled that? Yeah, you killed somebody. Yeah, you, eight years sounds about about right. Eight years sounds like what they give to somebody who, you know, got convicted of a, a of a, a felony for selling drugs or something. You know what right. I mean? Right. Actually, you know what? You know what's crazy is our father got eight years for his drug crimes. You see what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. his actual, like, that is how long he got. People who come across this, listen to this, just listen to some of these numbers that they give. And it's not consistent. It's never consistent. I have looked up these numbers to just kind of give myself an idea. And the consistency is never there. And I really feel like if we wanted to to end this rape stigma in this in this country, we wanted to end this nasty reign of people being able to do horrible things. This man killed somebody. He should have been locked away for life, put away for life. Fuck getting off. Fuck any of that. You do not let off a murderer. Who the fuck said? Yeah, this guy uh, is shortage uh, shortage of. You let off a murderer. And what he do? He did exactly what they always do. There is never a change of the heart. They always do this. We just listen to our cases. Just go back, go back, and continue to go back, and you'll continue to hear the consistencies. Because the consistent thing is that horrible people will continue to do horrible things because our country literally allows this. Yeah, I'm right. Oh, I'm right there with you in the frustration, Chris. Juan Gonzalez, an Austin homicide sergeant in 1986 who investigated the slaying of Joyce Munguia, said he had no business being out in society again, at least not so soon. It's terribly frustrating to me. The poor girl probably would still be alive if he had been in prison where he should have been. If you think execution is not a deterrent, this is a classic case. He was the main one, the ringleader. And that was the lead sergeant on the case. So he agrees with you. Mm. And uh, people, if we ever feel like there aren't good cops, good humans, there are, sadly. <laughs> Actually, gladly. Uh, yeah, no, good sadly, thing. gladly. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> Now, while looking into the trial, I did find some discrepancies in the story given by Danny Hansen. The other accomplices in the gang rape both testified against Elliot, since he was the actual killer, as if gang raping someone isn't just as bad as killing them. They said when Elliot began beating Joyce with the motorcycle chain, Hansen fled and called his sister, who later called the police. So that would mean he actually never even called the police to help his friend. After finding Joyce's body is when the police then arrested the trio of men. Both men swore they did not take part in the killing and both admitted to taking part in the rape. Pete Ramirez had a lengthy prior criminal history, including driving intoxicated, unlawfully carrying a weapon, and aggravated robbery. He received a 15-year sentence for sexual assault for his role in the case. He entered prison in January 1987 and was paroled in June of 1990. He has kept a clean record since then and was discharged from parole in 2001. 
Cruz Elizondo's only prior offense was for public intoxication. He pleaded guilty to sexual assault and received a 10-year prison sentence. And I didn't find any additional updated information for him. So, I mean, you'd commit this heinous crime and you're only going to serve three years. She doesn't get to walk again. She doesn't get to do any of the things that she was doing because you all took that from her. And to me, like, just because they only raped her, you're still a part of the murder. You're still an accomplice. I'm, I'm going to, because here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That that moment for her, even if they would have let her live, I'm, I'm just let that, I'm going to let this out for you guys. Even if they would have let her live, that shit would have fucked her up. Definitely. Mentally. Definitely. Mentally, to the point where, uh, and you know, I, women it, who have undergone these things, I have both been around them in life. I have seen it. So, most times they will become very defensive. And, the, you know, like, but it's reasonably so. You've, you've been attacked. It, it, it makes perfect sense. It's the sense. same as taking someone's life. You're taking something from them. Their sense yeah. of self, their sense of feeling safe, their right to their body. You're taking all yeah. of that. It's the same as killing them, really. And then their that's power. For, that's for anyone. That's why you see these children who have this happen to them. They grow up to be these very broken people. Is because the person that they once were has died when that, when that was done to them. And it's, oh, it's horrible but what kills me about this the most is the fact of how they're not considered liable for her murder they didn't even if they didn't kill her as well they did nothing to save her from being killed they didn't stop them they didn't try so how were they not responsible too and they contributed to the atmosphere you're fuming this atmosphere you know none of y'all are none of y'all are like true <laughs> None of y'all show any signs of humanity to stop this. It's so, you know, like y'all are accomplices. I would, me personally, if I was a judge, I would rule that y'all deserve life, that y'all have taken a life, that y'all are just as guilty as the man who is getting the, I would give y'all the maximum. That's just me personally, but that's not our, that's not our government system, sadly. That's, that's not our law system. Well, of course, during the trial, the defense for John Elliott tried to say that this was all consensual sex because, you know, gang rapes are always consensual, right? Yeah, no. Elliott even had the audacity to write the Munguia family a letter on Christmas Eve. He said, I have a mother and I see the pain in her eyes when she comes to visit me and I know how much more pain there must have been for you over the past years. But his written plea found no sympathy at their home. The letter means nothing, Lillian Munguia said. He's being selfish again, talking about himself, how he sees the pain in his mother's eyes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Had the nerve to, to, to write this family with bullshit. Like. I I can't believe the nerve of, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, in my mind, every time I'm like looking at a case, those be like the most like uh like despicable to me the the fucking defense attorneys i i can't stand them like how how as a fucking person can you defend somebody who rapes someone interesting and come with some bullshit like consensual sex 
A jury convicted Elliot in January of 1987 of capital murder and sentenced him to death. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed the conviction and sentence in April of 1993. All of his subsequent appeals in state and federal court were denied. On death row, Elliot maintained his innocence. I didn't kill Joyce Munguia and I didn't rape her, but somehow I knew I was going to get convicted, he said. I didn't have the money and I didn't have the best lawyers. Elliot acknowledged that his criminal past made it easy for prosecutors to obtain a conviction. I should have left, I should have led a different life, he said in his appeals. Elliot's lawyers unsuccessfully sought to have DNA testing ordered on blood spatter found on Danny Hansen's shoes. Hansen had said that blood was his own and that it was from a previous incident in which he was stabbed. So he basically tried to blame it all on Danny Hansen. John William Elliot also known as Jackie, was 42 at the time and was executed by lethal injection on February 4, 2003 in Huntsville, Texas for the rape and murder of Joyce. This is a little interesting fact I had came across. Elliot was born to American parents on a U.S. airbase in Great Britain, so he held dual American-British citizenship. His parents returned to the U.S. with him when he was six months old. His execution was opposed by numerous British public officials and was loudly denounced in the British media. During his stay on death row, Elliot corresponded with European anti-death penalty activists. He accommodated British media requests for interviews, but declined requests from the American media. For his last meal, he requested a cup of tea and six chocolate chip cookies. He made three clemency requests, one for a pardon, one for commutation, and one for reprieve. All were rejected by the Texas Board of Pardons and Proleys on September. The U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and the U.S. Supreme Court also denied Elliott's last-minute request for a stay. These requests delayed his execution by nearly an hour. Elliott did not make a final statement at his execution, and he was pronounced dead at 7.02 p.m. What happened to Ricky? Um, Ricky, I see he got 10 years, probably served about two or three of them, but I never was able to find, um, after information for him on when he got out. Oh my Lord. You mean the one that held them there to make sure they didn't leave while he went to go, while the other guy went to go get a weapon? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was talking about. Just 10 years. I mean, all he did was hold them hostage. Jeez. And you know, uh, he could he could have him a wife now. He could have some kids. He could literally be living a normal life like he didn't rape someone or be an accomplice to murder. Things that us normal people, we don't really have to worry about in life. But, you know. You know, I mean, Pete Ramirez got out in 1990, two years before I was even born. Yeah. Oh, uh, my Lord. I I still believe that the death penalty is something that we should just have. But uh, I also do believe that life sentences are just as, as messed up when actually carried out. But, you know, prisons are businesses and they have to actually they want to, you know, have more space, more space, more bodies means more money. I guess I just feel like, like you said earlier, 
they will never get Joyce back. She doesn't get to be a part of their lives. She doesn't get to be an aunt, a sister, a cousin. She doesn't get to live the life she deserved to be able to live and to think that, I mean, yes, what's his face is killed. Thank God. Fuck you, John Elliott. You're probably rotting in hell. But these other two dudes just walked, you know, and to think that, like you said, they got to live a full ass life knowing that they are menaces. They did this heinous crime. And if you were to sit any of us regular people down and ask us if we wanted them on the streets, we would say, hell no. I don't care how much they've changed, whatever. Like, it's crazy to think that this is the way our system is. And it's really easy to be like, oh, I want there to be, you know, I want people to be able to go to jail and be fixed. And it's not meant for them to stay forever. But that's until it's your family member that this fucking horrible, heinous shit happens to, you know? Say for a mental illness, um, you know, going going to like a place where like, you know, you're, you're seeking a psych, you know, a psychological evaluation in that situation. Yes. Yes. This person deserves to be fixed, rehabilitated for a rapist committing an act in his sound mind. Like, this is your normal state of thinking. This is who you normally are as a person. Nah, there's no fixing you. There's no fixing you. There's no fixing... We could say that... that uh, what's his face? That Elliot was um, rehabilitated earlier because, you know, he, he did have earlier <laughs> things that happened on his record, but he wasn't, obviously. So that doesn't change in a person. True. You kill someone once, you're going to kill someone again. Murder, there are certain extremes. Certain extremes. That's all I'm going to say. Yep, I agree with you. There are certain crimes that I don't feel. If you, if fucking sex will make you choose to take a person's life, you are not fixable. And I really things like that are the only times where i'm like full-on death penalty let's do it <laughs> like hell not just her. that but like like to think of a of a woman is nothing but just an object right an right. object not to be used right uh, and yeah oh uh, and to think that they have that right like these are the type of things honestly that make me feel like let the parents oh god i do oh, exactly god. let the parents handle that shit 100 percent, because they're the ones who have to deal with the grief but then it's also like it things could get wild <laughs> yeah 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 it, dad chime in let me rape them <laughs> you know what though i'm not gonna lie dude i'm not gonna lie like i would 100 percent be with you know, rape is a horrible thing. And maybe if people, if it they is. use the punishment of being raped, maybe being raped, ugh, I can't speak. Maybe if that was the punishment, people would not be doing that shit. And when you only get out after two damn years, it's kind of hard to feel like you shouldn't do it. Like, I mean, I don't fucking get it, dude. These dudes only get two years in jail. That's all they get. Or if they're a fucking preppy ass white dude, they can rape a girl behind a fucking trash can and only get probation. So it's like, how do you expect for this to not have 
some kind of a rape culture. We live in a state ourselves where our fucking governor has decided that even women who have been raped should not be allowed to get rid of babies by their rapists and then turns around and makes no kind of stipulation or anything so that a rapist can literally sue his victim because of what Abbott has done. So how can anyone say we don't live in a rape culture? Clearly, let me stop because to me, anybody that would make a law like that is a fucking rapist himself. And like we oh encourage God. rape to me, <laughs> you know, it definitely does. But sadly, that is the case of Joyce Mungia. Um, he was executed. The other men served a couple years and that is justice in the great state of Texas, I guess. Um, I wish it was all of them. But you so, take your victories where you can. Well, that is all I have for today on this episode of Forgotten Fridays. Make sure you catch us next week for another episode. Make sure if you're not already, you follow our podcast so that you get all the alerts when a new episode drops. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Forgotten Fridays Podcast, so that you can get any notifications or alerts that we have for any upcoming episodes. And I also like to put the photos, the case comments, everything there so that you can see them and you can be kind of actively involved in the case as we talk about it. Uh, we will upload some new episodes on the YouTube channel in January. So that is coming up. But other than that, that's all I have for today. Bye, guys. Thank you.